You are Solomon Kane, I suppose? He asked, managing to make his question sound politely and curious. I am Solomon Kane. The voice was resonant and powerful. Are you prepared to meet your god? Why, monsieur? Lelou answered, bowing. I assure you, I am as ready as I will ever be. I might ask monsieur the same question. No doubt I stated my inquiry wrongly, Kane said grimly. I will change it. Are you prepared to meet your master, the devil? Red Shadows, Robert E. Howard. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rogues in the House. Tonight we are talking about Solomon Kane. With me, as always, we have Matthew. How's it going? It's going very going well. Very well. Very good. And we also have Logan. What's happening, brother? I'm sober. You are, yes. What would you say? Two weeks uh, now? Yeah, it's been not intentionally like I can still drink beer, but I've had meeting after meeting and volleyball game and going to the gym and just so much crap. So, like, come on, what are you doing? I was just going to say, well, you're yeah, calling the gym yeah, crap. You got to treat your body like that. You would rely on your body every hour of the day. You got to give it some time. I was going to patch Arnold in, but there he was right there. <laughs> yeah, he, he pops yep. out sometimes. Arnold, what's up? How are you? There's a new Terminator movie coming out. You got to go see what it. What about King Conan? All right. Well, this, yes, there's this young guy who's in charge of the property and he doesn't want to do it with me. <laughs> Arnold, that's not even true. He's not even that young. What are you talking about? Come on. You know it's true. Do it. All right. Bye, Arnold. Yeah. All right. See you. So we got <laughs> Logan hitting the gym, cats and dogs yeah. living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> what what uh what's your what's your workout regime like logan tell us about how you're uh, so we're kind of like not in a like a regular day routine because she commutes down from like an hour every day for work so like it really depends on what's going on but one day is um upper body so it's always 20 minutes of cardio then upper body and then the next day is cardio and um, like lower body, and then we alternate like that. It just depends on what's available in the gym, I guess. Oh, all right, all right. I'm sorry, I have to come back in oh here. Are you doing your deadlifts? Are you doing your squats? Are you doing your bench press? <laughs> Got to do all of these things. Right, a little bye bit, bye. yeah, a little okay, bit. Your high Hyborian deadlifts. Go back to doing voice work for Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Oh, man. Listen, that's dreadful. <laughs> I know a guy who can do an Arnold voice way better way than better that. Way better than Arnold? Yeah. Call me Midway or whatever company's doing Mortal Kombat these days. <laughs> yeah, it's not even it's not even Arnold. But Terminator is a playable character in the DLC. It actually looks pretty cool. Come on. Yeah, yeah, but you can't separate those two things. Arnold's voice? Yeah, no, the voice I mean, isn't great. That's not come great. on. You got to have it. Silly. Forget it. Forget about it. Want to hear my gym story real anyway, quick? Yeah, let's hear your gym story. So this story. summer, I signed up for the gym. Uh, and then uh, this weekend, I picked up my uh, gym ID. That, that's the <laughs> <Nice>. story. <laughs> so from July to October, <laughs> I've been paying for the gym. Listen, we're in the, we're, in the, we're in the twilight zone here. I haven't worked out in like 10 days. And Logan's now going to the gym. What's going on here? Terrible. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm getting back to the gym. I mean, don't worry, I'm getting back to the gym this weekend. <laughs> All, right. <sighs> All right, so working out aside, yeah. shall we get into our 
Bizarre of the Bizarre. Bizarre of the Bizarre. Yes. Let's do it. Gold. I don't think that can stay. <laughs> no. I don't, it needs, it needs to that go. can't be a thing. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. It's That's the last, the last time, time, time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. Logan. Yes. If I told you that there was a show available to you that was set in Mexico, based in the 1970s, and had elements of sword and sorcery, what would you say to me? I would say I believe you, and I know exactly what you're talking about. My pick for Bizarre of the Bizarre this time around is Seis Manos, which means, I believe, six hands, correct? Um, I believe so. Yes, it is six so hands. So the one part that I did leave out of this is that <clears throat> it is on the Kung Fu side and it is animated. But beyond that, it totally will scratch your itch, man. You need to get it. You need to watch it. It has crazy uh, cult type stuff in it. Uh, it was really good. A lot of it has definitely um, like Asian overtones of. Um, you know, the, the whole Kung Fu aspect and some lore as well sure. rolled into that. Uh, loved it. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It's cool that it's set into the 1970s too. Um, so it has it has sort of a, a neat flavor to it. So it's actually really – because so it seems weird at face value that Kung Fu and Hispanic culture or Mexican culture go together. Um, but I live in what I would call the – Hispanic quarter of New, like of Albuquerque. Um, it's um, and there are dojos for various martial arts everywhere, and it's a big thing for young Hispanic kids to go learn, um, at least in my area, um, to go learn uh, a martial art as a young kid. And uh, during, gosh, I want to say it's like the forties or fifties, the Mexican government. Uh, like trained a, the contingent of military of their military in kung fu, like they sure, had yeah. had a had a guy come over from from Asia and teach this like elite military unit kung fu. So like, well, it's interesting sounding. Oh, well, it is interesting sounding, but it sounds offbeat. It's actually kind of like a normal thing where I live. That it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know the. The martial arts is something I think that any sort of like military force tries to impress. And, you know, if it's systematically taught, as is a lot of the uh, like the Asian martial arts, it, it, I think it lends itself better. But, yeah, the the show was really good. It's actually a little on the dark side, too. Um, I think within the first episode, you're sort of like, oh, my God, did they just do that? Uh, and yes, they did. And they yeah, did. and they did. Um, so it's on Netflix. Uh, check it out for those of you people who like something that is – a you know, I'll I'll stretch and say that it's sword and sorcery ish. Uh, obviously, it's not one to one, but it's good enough. It's sure. a vengeance tale. Uh, who can't get behind a vengeance tale, right? And right. Um, doesn't it have uh, Does it have Michael Coulter in it who played Luke Cage? Is that correct? Is this a show I'm thinking I do of? Not know. It does relatively new. Yeah, I saw I saw a trailer for it. It did look kind of. It cool. does have. Um, oh, Logan, help me out. What's his name? The guy that's in every <clears throat> Danny yes, Trejo. I knew exactly yep. what you were talking about. He's in that. He plays the the main the main bad guy. 
uh, which is pretty sweet too. Interesting. Oh, really? Oh, it does have Mike Coulter in it. You're oh, correct. Good job. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Done. So, anyways, he is evidently for the main that characters. is my pick. It's really good. I, I highly recommend it. It's sweet. really fun. Cool, Logan. What you got? So, um, when I when I write, I typically have some kind of background music depending on what genre I'm writing in. And typically when I write Sword and Sorcery, I have this particular ambient band on. Like, none of my music has words because I can't focus when there's words. Um, so I listen to a lot of soundtracks, like the Tomb Raider soundtrack or Uncharted or whatever for adventure stuff. But for Sword and Sorcery, I listen a lot to this band called Paleo Wolf. Oh, I yeah. know I've mentioned before. Um, my favorite of their albums is called the Megafauna Rituals, and each of the songs are like themed after a particular Ice Age beast, and they're all really good. But they had a new album come out, and it's called Megalithion, and uh, it's kind of like I'm gonna go anthropology and say it's like the Chalcolithic going into the Megalithic era, where humans start uh, building uh, large stone structures like Stonehenge. Um, or the, the sites in Turkey. But uh, there are four songs, and each of them are about 18 minutes long. Um, they're themed, I think it's Earth, Wind, Fire, and Tree, or something like that. Um, and they're a little more slow and ambient than um, the other albums that I have. Uh, but they're definitely excellent um, atmosphere background music because i know a lot of rpgers or like dms like to have background music and i think it's very fitting um some of them are creepy some of them get you pumped up i have listened to some of them at the gym because like the tribal drums are going and uh you can hear like mammoths calling in the background or wolves howling like it's good stuff so if you haven't checked out paleo wolf um it's like bandcamp.com slash paleowolf. And most of their albums, they suggest five euros. It's about 556 in American dollars. Um, but it's one of those things where you can like pay what you think it's worth. Um, I think their stuff is great, especially for that ambient stuff. Um, so I, I highly suggest that you check them out. That's, that's my thing. I like it. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I've listened to Paleo Wolf while writing uh, and also for like some Conan RPG sessions for sure. It's right. good because yeah. it's, it's totally, it's non-invasive, right? Because mm-hmm. um, even exactly. movie soundtracks, I find movie soundtracks sometimes are just a little bit too much for me. Yeah. Cause they can get um, bombastic or like yeah, when the exactly. movie picks up, but yeah. Paleo Wolf is just, it's, you also know the, but theme. not just like the names. like soundtracks, you know, the theme and you can be like, Oh yeah, you're playing, but you know, right. That's right. Imperi- that's yeah, the Imperial March. Totally. Yeah, you can be totally affected right, by it, right. um, which is not is not necessarily what you want. Um, for those of you, with, okay. uh, before you go, for those of you with Amazon uh, accounts or Amazon Prime accounts, Paleo Wolf does appear in your Amazon Music, so you can check them out for for zero dollars right now if you'd like. Oh, rad! I Wait, didn't know that. Not right now because you got to finish listening to the podcast, but right after the podcast. Also, this podcast is free. Yeah, we're even uh, more free. so. It yeah. uh, it's kind of like wrecking me that I can't talk primal right now. But we're going to do an episode on it soon. I actually just finished it uh, tonight, and I'll just say that the last episode was so awesome. It was so, so good. good. But 
we can't talk about Rocky it right four. now, but my God. Rocky Four. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. Also, you wouldn't like me when yes. I'm angry. Um, <laughs> so that's all we'll say about that. Just do check it out uh, because our next our next episode may in fact be about that. Um, if not, we're going to talk about it soon. Um, where can where did you access it, Alex? I bought it. I bought it uh, immediately from, from Amazon yeah, Prime. Immediately, it was available on Amazon. So I it was I think like thirteen dollars for the five episodes. And the way I look at it is yeah. a I want to keep it, and b uh, you know if it helps support it, then oh, why, God, why yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So there is you, nothing there that a sword and sorcery fan won't like. No, and in fact, you are doing yourself. If you're into heroic fantasy or sword and sorcery, or even like, dinosaurs or pets, or pets yeah, in general, like you're you're, yeah, you're missing out huge. Even like if you're a fan of like heavy metal or any, you know, adult animation, it's just it's so good. It really is. It's yeah. uh, it totally met my expectations. If you're a fan of um, anything good in life. You'll like. You'll like. Yeah. This. No, it's seriously. Crushing it's, your enemies, hearing the limitation yeah. of their women. <laughs> uh, but that is not my pick from the bazaar of the bazaar. Uh, I think I'll just talk about um, the new Joe Abercrombie book. Oh, nice! Yeah. Uh, a little, a little hatred. I brought it up recently because I was anticipating it, um, and I'm, I'm in. I'm probably about halfway through now, and. It is excellent. It's like uh, kind of anger inducing just how like effortless and excellent the prose is. You know, there's just certain times where I'm like, God damn it. How did you do that? So (laughs) easily, effortlessly, just particular sentences that are perfect, that just perfectly describe something or put you into the scene. Uh, But aside from my jealousy, um, it's like I, I was a little somewhat concerned because I like my I like my fantasy to be lower tech. I don't want guns popping up and I don't want technology to become a, a total uh, invasion of magic. In any case, this is all very low fantasy, but this one is sort of, I will say it has a dick aspect, which is a term I picked up from the wire, but also <laughs> I studied, I studied Charles Dickens in university. And so this is like, it's sort of like the industrial age is dawning and this world, which was, you know, very much dealing with somewhat imperial conquest is now dealing with this whole notion of uh, the, the hardship of, of what this brings along. Um, and it's, it really is sort of like a little bit of Charles Dickens inserted into Joe Abercrombie. Um, and that may not sound that awesome on paper, but uh, I'm finding myself, I'm completely gripped by the prose. Um, it's got familiar characters from before. Um, also their offspring, which as we kind of talked about, Alex wasn't totally a fan of, but his, his characterizations are so good and the way he places them into the world and into the context of the, the groundwork that's already been laid by these characters is just very clever. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm slow reading these days because I find myself so tired and busy. Uh, I know Logan knows what I'm talking about as a teacher, but I just and and that sometimes threatens to uh, interrupt the flow of your your uh, how invested you are in a book. But this is like every time I pick it up and even snatch a couple of pages, I'm just uh, you know totally into it. So if you're a Joe Abercrombie fan, or if you're a fan of uh, 
you know, fantasy that's just not silly um, and is very character rooted. Um, you've got to check that out. And that is the pick from the bizarre format. Awesome. Rad. And thus concludes the bizarre of the bizarre. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, no, you didn't. It. I did this time. Uh, so before we dive into our overview of Solomon Cain, uh, I think I have a quick correction to make um, from our previous episode. Might as well get this out in front right now. Uh, in our it's good journals. Yes, good journals, right, man. right. In yeah. um, in the previous episode, we were talking about vampires, and I said uh, erroneously that Muna skulls had uh, the Vampire Queen of Nagari. Well, the Vampire Queen of Nagari is more of a rumor kind of term towards her. She, I, I don't think there is anything to suggest that she is a vampire. I was getting my wires crossed on that. Um, it does say in the story that she, or like Solomon says her himself, that she is the Vampire Queen. It just never That's what I mean. It's, it's sort of like mentioned, like it's rumor around town that she's referred to as the Vampire Queen. You know, that's that's how I took it when I when I... How dare you screw that up in the middle of a mythos that involves I know, vampires? Well, you know. <laughs> so, uh, just wanted to give my sincere apologies, and you know, we mark that as a mistake. The first one, the first one ever on this apologize. podcast. Oh, here's the here, great. Here's the yeah. second one ever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, so right. I also stated that the uh, winged creatures in uh, Wings in the Night were vampires, and they are they not. Are not. Um, so no, that's a different thing. thing. Yeah, the vampires yeah. are in the hills, right. of, the hills dead. of the dead. Yeah. So there's about sixty six percent less vampires than we thought there were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're everywhere. They're everywhere. It, it had been a while since yeah. I had read Solomon Kane. Um, but now well. I have reread the so, whole thing. So. You know what this this kind of speaks to? I think with Solomon Kane, and, and this kind of can start the whole discussion. Is what I have found is my memory. From when I've read them, you know, I don't think I've read them all originally, um, and and now I've gone through as as many as I could get my hands on. I Solomon Kane is an interesting cat in that the media and the way he's portrayed and the different uh, facsimiles of him, not necessarily as Solomon Kane, but just that look, sort of blends mm-hmm. together and has has shaped my opinion over of him over the years. What I mean but for an example is the video game Grim Dawn. If you look at the cover art for that, it looks like they basically have like a Puritan with like a raven on his shoulder. And, oh, and yeah, you would, and you would think, I mean, that's a clear Solomon Cain style, uh, style look right there. And all these things start to just blend together. And it's very interesting. I think Conan gets this as well. A lot of this stuff just mushes together. And, and unless you're absolutely pure on the whole thing, it's hard to remember What's what sometimes? So yeah. Alex will appreciate this because he's an anime fran- fan, um, but I have not seen it. I've just heard it bandied around, but Vampire Hunter Oh, God, e, I love you know what that, that is? one. That's probably so one of the first just, animes I've ever seen him in life. Yeah, I hear it's it, a classic. I haven't so seen it, um, but that he wears Solomon Kane's yes. outfit. And if you Google Vampire Hunter D costume, uh, it is... It is the exact freaking picture of Solomon Kane on my on my my book yes. here. 
Like, it's not even, you can't even tell. So, you actually so. pried that from my list without even knowing it. So, good job. That, that was ah, really good. I'm impressed ah. with that. But, yeah, I mean, it totally is. And that was one of the earliest uh, animes that I watched um, growing up. And I was like, okay, first of all, that got me onto the genre. Uh, but it's also really good. And he's got like a, a hand that talks to him. Uh, like, he's got like a mouth on his hand, on the palm of his hand. Yeah. It's all creepy and weird yeah. and good. Uh, and I, I won't spoil and, the, the I mean, movie I'm for sure. you, but it is worth seeing if you haven't seen it. And I'm Would sure you you're going to mention the, the terrible um, Van Helsing movie. He dresses like exactly. Solomon Kane. That's another one, too. And I wonder how many, like, I think the Vampire Hunter D creator, if I read this right, like, that was a conscious decision on his part. But I wonder if uh, Stephen Summers actually knew who Solomon Kane was. Or, like, is Solomon Kane, like, the, um, like, archetypal uh vampire hunter or like monster hunter like is this where we that's get it I, that's it's, why i said or at least that's aesthetic. why i called him the original monster hunter when i like i think that aesthetic is what really like burned in my mind as right because van van helsing would not have looked like a puritan no no because van helsing in the in the novel is like a professor is or something like that doesn't he have like glasses or something yeah he's not he's not like uh it's not like they've they've they made him in as far as like other Dracula pastiche, like yeah. he was more of a, he wasn't like a super rugged dude in the book who went out and like hunted several monsters. It wasn't yeah. like, Oh, that. speaking of anime, my favorite anime, the only one I've ever seen all the way through is called Helsing and Dracula or Alucard in the, in the anime. Uh, he dresses like Solomon Kane as well, and which he supposedly picked up from Van Helsing, the person, except his suit is red instead of black. Okay, so speaking of Van Helsing, rewatched Monster Squad recently. <laughs> <laughs> I remembered how, how awesome, like, the opening scene of that movie with Van Helsing, yes. right? And he's, like, taking care of the vampires, and you're like, holy cow, this movie's, like, yep. intense. Like, it seemed you were in for a totally I, different kind I of movie. I have still not seen it, so I guess and, I need to. You really do. And then at the end, the best part is when, like, for no real good reason, they're they're sucking the, the bad guys into the portal. And who shows up at Van Helsing? And he grabs Dracula and he gives the thumbs up to the monster <laughs> squad. And they go back to the portal. And it's so wicked. So wicked. And uh, also, uh. I just wanted to say, too, just as a, as a, as a return to our last episode, the, the deep one. The creature from the Black Lagoon in that movie, the makeup effects are so good. I like I couldn't it's the best merman ever. Uh check it out. Let's get back to Solomon Kane. Okay. So yeah, that that aesthetic. I think that that was my the main thing that I wanted to express here is that that aesthetic, his look and his feel, um, has blended through many, many different genres and, and many, many different periods. So I think that in a lot of ways, he's really become an extremely iconic character. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. I yeah, agree. I think I you're agree. right. Um, I even saw something. I noticed I was at a comic store recently and they had like a, it was a Batman action figure. Um, oh, was it the Puritan Batman? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah he's Solomon Kane. There's a yeah, caveman like, Batman too. Yeah. He looked so much like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a caveman Batman, but I saw the Solomon Kane one and like, you know, obviously that's, that's the image. It evokes, then, right. For, yeah. If you're a Howard fan, you can't absolutely. Not see and then um, through his his actions, and we could talk about this more in the stories themselves. But like, I see very very clear Punisher, 
like influence. Well, he's influenced Punisher, I should say, right? Like the, those sorts of like the, the vengeance tales that he's yeah. after. And I get it. Vengeance is a thing that, you know, he, he, Solomon Cain didn't invent vengeance. Um, but he just sort of like appears out of nowhere a lot of the time. Yeah. St- he's like, this is a yeah. work that needs to be done and I'm the one to do it. Exactly. Well, yes. there's a, he has a quote, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect of like, uh, I've never, I've never done a man, uh, or like put a man to torture, but you, sir, are making me consider yeah, it. Something right? along those lines. <laughs> it's, right. very, it's a very, it's a very Punisher uh, thinks that Punisher would just straight up torture you. Yeah. And even yeah. in, um, so the blue flame of vengeance, this is, this is probably my favorite one and it's actually has no real weird elements to it. Uh, I, I think there was a rewrite. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm reading on Wikipedia where they added some weird elements to it. Yeah. Um, but it is as originally written straight, um, straight historical, but like he basically appears into this like castle, Littered with pirates, like so much like a Batman would or a Punisher. Yeah. And that's like, I just keep getting that feeling. And they just talk about him like seeping into the shadows and that sort of feel. And I'm like, geez, you know, like they, people read the, read these stories and then took their own jumps from there with this, I think. Yeah. So we don't know much about Solomon Kane. He used to be a pirate, but we don't know what happened to him really. Right. right. So when we talk about his background. Do we know that? Does we that, do know I that. I don't remember anymore. It is specifically stated in at least two stories in one poem. Okay. So uh, at, at a point, like, I didn't reread all the stories in preparation. I mean, I've read all the stories, but I only read a couple. And then um, getting my wires crossed with the movie. And actually, sure. when, we're, when we're talking about that idea of vengeance and, like, his background story, um, I kind of had a bit of a hot take with the with, with you two in saying that, like, I find Solomon Kane fairly flat. And I'm not, he's, he's not one of my favorite Howard characters. Um, and even what they did with him in the movie to give him some uh, reason for doing what he does, I didn't find it terrible. I found it, it it's kind of tragic whenever you watch a movie about a character in the entire movie, they're not playing that character until the very end when they're playing that character and you kind of want to see what comes after it. But then we sure. had a particular discussion uh, something Alex brought up, which then sort of made me reconsider and become a little more interested. I don't know if it's time to bring that out. Yeah, yet. I mean, why not? Yeah, why so not? So yeah, my, sure. my theory on Solomon Kane for the general public is that he's actually a crazy person. He is insane. And, and yeah, his, his fanaticism so. is based in – like he thinks that he's sane because – First of all, how many characters do you know that he has mentioned so many times that he has like these sanity checks and he's always like, oh, he knew he was sane, which tells me that I think yeah. that like Howard is suggesting that he's actually not. And he just gets these ideas in his head to, and like a, a dog just needs to chase it. And he goes across, he yeah. goes across the world multiple times. Yeah. You're in the 16th, 16th <laughs> yeah. century, and you decide because you really got to go vanquish some evil to cross <laughs> uh, the Atlantic. It's 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 big operation. It's, it's a huge yeah, operation. He has a big operation, that is and he sure. just has it in his head that like there is evil to be vanquished in Africa. I'm I'm being called there, and may, you know yeah. that is, I think one some people could see it as 
that is the the uh, puritanical call of God or something like that. Uh, someone a little more right, sardonic but- like me might say, that's a crazy person just hearing voices and being like, I'm going. But here's why that holds water to me is that you look at Howard's other heroes and you don't, uh, um, there's something maybe eluding me, but that doesn't seem to be a motivating factor, right? Like I'm doing it for the sake of good, it, yes. right? Like that's not, that doesn't, that's not typically what, what he's after. There's usually some other motivator, right? Yeah. For Cain, he's made him this, this, you know, this Puritan who's doing it for God. Um, but I mean, if you took Solomon Cain out of there and you made a story where like he was even an unreliable narrator or he was, you know, you even turned it on its head slightly and he was somewhat the villain of the story or the, the morally gray character. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you, I'm not saying Howard was doing that, but I'm saying, it interests me more to think that he was I, I just sure. a little bit, just a little bit, even like the, the idea, cause he doesn't seem to be like, Oh, I want to write a character who's totally all about God. You don't see that in no, his other. Not and and frankly, there's ever. nothing that he, there's nothing that he ever really does that suggests to you that he is so devout in, in the exactly. writing, in the writing I itself. And in fact, it, it's almost like he's coming up with that reason to justify exactly. it for himself. I was just like, going to oh, say yeah, that it's his excuse. Exactly. Which God is, is or exactly. like Christianity is his excuse because like We're, um, is it's in Hills of the Dead has this the fascinating. Um, this is your quote, right? Body transfer. Is this your quote? The one about uh, being a pagan? Oh no, no, no! I was thinking no. In the in Hills of the Dead, he gets the um, the staff from from Inlonga, who's uh, it's a recurring name. Because isn't Enlonga on Queen of the Black, Black Coast too? But Enlonga is this old that's shaman. Nagora. Nagora, is there? Okay, Nagora I thought I knew that could be. No, Nagora and Niyaga, which are you know okay. similar. Sorry, go sure. ahead. Um, but uh, he's this old shaman who has this ability to like transfer his body. Yeah, and uh, we know that Cain does not like evil, and numerous times he's like, "This is voodoo." But yeah. it's serving my purpose. I'm right. good with it. Exactly. Like, you're a weird dude. Exactly. And he's like, this is the work of Satan, but he doesn't do anything about right. it. Right. And I, yeah. I got to get this in before I forget it, too, because it goes back to the whole comparing him to the Punisher angle, right? The Punisher at first is saying, like, oh, I'm doing all this for vengeance so that other people don't fall victim like my family did. But ultimately, when you look at, like, how Garth Ennis ended up exploring the Punisher – you learn Punisher's actually doing it eventually because he likes it. Right. He likes doing it. And I sense the same thing about Kane. His uh-huh. whole purpose at some point isn't necessarily about, oh, I'm making the world a better place. It's I'm doing this because I enjoy right. it. Yeah. And I seek this. And I'm seeking it across oceans and across continents. And I'm literally traveling into the unknown so that because – he enjoys it. Yeah, and I think I think yeah. Howard actually does uh, almost very transparently alludes to that too, if not outright yeah. says it. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah. It really, he's a weird character when you start to think about his motivations a little bit and what what's driving him because he doesn't have anything other than the fact that he's just. Like I can't explain it any other way. He just has no. He he has the motivations of a crazy person, and, and maybe yes. you know 
I, I, far be it for me to, to knock on Howard, but maybe it's just that phase in storytelling that he was working through where, you know, the character didn't have that. And, and you know, maybe I'm reading into this whole thing. Right. God, and, I have so and, many points to bring up, but I can't bring them all up at once. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me just, <laughs> you go, do it. Well, so, um, I don't want to bring up the actual history behind this because um, there is actual history behind Solomon Kane. Um, but you mentioned something just now that um, that reminded me about Solomon Kane's placement as a character in Howard's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, Solomon Kane is post call, but pre Conan, and um, I think you can tell uh, not just from like from a writing perspective, but from like a world building perspective, because we know that Cole Conan and Bran McMorn all exist in the same timeline. And one particular story, um, and I always get them confused. I've done it like three or four times in our conversation. It's called skull skulls in the stars. No, you want no, moon of skulls. It's moon of skulls. Yep. See, I did yep. it again. In <laughs> moon of skulls, um, Solomon Kane encounters, the last Atlantean and the last Atlantean mentions all of the gods that Cole worshiped, but the sinking of Atlantis that he describes is not the sinking of Atlantis that we know from the Hyborian age. So I do not think that Solomon Cain exists in the timeline of Conan um, because it is a different sinking of Atlantis. Although uh, he does exist in a timeline. With Why is Hull. it different? Before um, you break into that, I think yes. I would say that Howard's intent. I mean, I guess no, no one really knows what his true intention sure, was with sure. it, but I think that he was more so a guy um, who had all these ideas. They came to him and then he developed them as he went. And a lot of them fall together and they fall in line and they work harmoniously. And some don't. We even see this in the Hyborian age, whereas there's no mention of Acheron or Asheron or Acheron or Asheron or <laughs> uh, in, in the Hyborian Age essay, right? So I think it's just a matter. And, and you, you also will get certain drafts with different names, like Namadides and Numadides. Yeah. You know, there's certain inconsistencies where I wouldn't read too much into it. Like I wouldn't put a modern yeah. lens on that, whereas I think he was sort of, you know, he's working in his room, plugging away at that typewriter. You know, he's not. I, I just don't I, see it as like. There's not an. Right. I greatly, I, I greatly dislike the whole like, you know, united theory of of all the stories. Like it, it, that stuff drives me a little bonkers. Um, well, I think you can take it. You can take it or leave it, right? I think it. It kind yeah. of is. Ultimately, doesn't matter. There's there's definitely explicit references sure. that, that travel over one another. And I mean, as a nerd, like a modern nerd, when you see those links, how can you not be a little attracted to them? Sure. Um, you know, even like the Lovecraft uh, Conan connection and the shared mythos, like for me as a nerd, I love it, but I also, I'm not going to get too, too uh, attached to any one thing as Logan's pointing out. It doesn't all line up. Sure. And, and I agree with that you for the most right part. Here. We just know that the Hyborian age exists and gives more or less good time, like good time spacing between the cataclysms and the Atlantean that survived in the Solomon Cain's uh, time period only mentions one, and it was not that long ago, comparatively, mm-hmm. when you compare it to the Hyborian Age. So when he wrote the Hyborian Age, 
Um, I don't know if he forgot. He probably did um, because he wrote a lot of stories or it just didn't matter to him um, to connect that particular one. But uh, reflecting on the Hyborian Age and the cataclysm that is explained in the Moon of Skulls, it does not describe the same events. Right. I remember even one time when I was trying to determine how how much time separates Conan and Kal in like one source was kind of looking like 10,000 years and another source was looking like 100,000 years. Uh, and there may actually be conflicting pieces on that. So yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I've um, never spent any I, time worth, trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I did when I was running in a, I was running an RPG for it. And I was like, I want it to be accurate. <laughs> After a lot of research, I think like, like a number of websites I've come up with put call at about a hundred thousand and yeah. uh, Conan like at twelve to fourteen thousand because mm-hmm. he's like uh, his world is more relatable than Cole's, but we really don't know an exact timeline. Just the events described in Solomon Kane don't fit the Hyborian Age. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. That's Can fair. we uh, yeah. ho- hopping back? Mentioning. Hopping back to the insanity yeah. thing for a second, too. Yeah. I just wanted I wanted to give some examples because as you were talking, I just started to think about this a little bit more, and the decisions in the plot lines of, of these of these stories. Again, you could take it for what it's worth, or just say that that's Howard trying to make a story, or you could read into it like I'm doing a little bit here. Skulls in the stars, right? This is the one where he's basically crossing a swamp. He's is heading to or from Torkertown, which, by the way, I love the name Torkertown. Um, <laughs> Tinkertown yeah, and Torkertown. Yeah. It reminds me of Bartertown <laughs> in Mad Max for some reason. So, um, and and sure. essentially the the child or young man or whatever he is comes up to him and says, "Don't take this path. This this path is like fraught with danger, and you know nobody wants you to take this one. You're gonna die if you take this." So what does he do? He's like thinks about it for a minute and he's like this is the this. path that I need to take if there's evil that needs to be dealt with I'm going to do that. That That is just one example of a bizarre choice that like no normal person would make that that decision. Then you look at Red, yeah. Sha- Red Shadows. Again these are the plots that kind of drive Kane uh, but I think it like shades him as a little bit of a, of a loon. Um, the whole point of Red Shadows is Lelou the wolf uh, kills uh, a girl and he Cain that is uh, gets it in his head to proclaim vengeance and to hunt this guy. He does this great. Mm. And Lelou ends up evading him. So our friend Solomon here then takes it upon himself to follow him to France. I think it's France. And then (laughs) when he eludes him again to Africa, where he finally catches up and, and eventually kills him. Yeah, he's playing what? the long game on that one. I yeah. mean, <laughs> and even in the story, Howard has Lelou sort of make fun of him and keeps calling him Sir Galahad, if you remember that. Uh, yeah. And I just I just find it so interesting. I mean, it's just, it, it's a so, nonsensical choice. Right, and I think originally when I was... Uh, you know, when I read these tales, I was thinking it's just Howard just kind of wants an excuse uh, to tell a story about this character who can go on these adventures and do right. these things. Right. He's not so much worried about what are the big motivations of him and how deep do I have to make him? And 
Um, and that's the part of me that sort of made me think he was a little more flat. But when I take this other angle that he's just, his fervor is, is, is bordering on, you know, uh, a monomania, like an Ahab, he becomes more interesting to me. Right. It's a good term. Yeah. Like an so, Ahab. Yeah. Very much like Ahab. Yeah. Well, right. Because it's, it's that like Ahab sacrificed his whole crew just to hunt this whale and get vengeance. And, you know, um, when we came, we don't see him, uh, sacrificing crews or anything like that, but well, maybe we do that. I'm not remembering, but I think in the movie, maybe they touch on it, but which is also not Howard, but anyways, um, it's more Howard than you think, which I'm waiting for. Oh, oh, look out. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I do see that, that comparison somewhat of that monomania, right? Like it doesn't, nothing else in his life matters. I don't even get the sense that he gives a crap about this, these, this girl he's going to rescue at this point or whoever it is. He's just, I've yeah, got he to swore do this a vow and he has like, to, like, yeah. he has to fulfill it. The yeah, the I other like the yeah. other final point that I'll make about the whole insanity thing, and then I'll I'll, I'll let that die for now, um, is mm-hmm. at the end of just about every story, he's depressed like about the fact that like there's just more evil out there for him to deal with, right? <laughs> Which yeah. is, I mean, it's, again, it's kind of crazy. Like he's just, he can't be. He's never. I mean, again, this is the character, and this is kind of the way he's he's drawn, so to speak. But it's just ultimately. He never can. He never can find um, fulfillment in any of it. Right? He's just back to being mm-hmm. like the evil is calling. I have to go take care of it. Yeah, yeah. So Logan, okay, you got something so, stern in there. You got something. I've got stewing. a couple things which are interesting. Okay. Uh, so I love the Age of Exploration. It is. Um, I don't want to call it modern history, but it's my favorite more modern period of history. I think Solomon Kane fit like I think the world presented this is the perfect time period because this is taking place during the Salem witch trials. Uh this is just post Spain taking over Mexico and the Aztec Empire and realizing all of the human sacrifices that the Aztecs and the Inca did and all this stuff. And the world is trying to break into um, a more science-driven, logic-driven thing. And they're basically, in our real world, we are combating superstition as humanity tries to come forward. Um, And so I think the Age of Exploration is an excellent place to put a sword and sorcery character. Because you still have swords and you can have these supernatural elements and it is heavily implied in the poem One Black Stain that Solomon Kane was once in the crew of Sir Francis Drake. Um, Sir right. Francis Drake circumnavigated the world between 1577 and 1580, which is only three years to travel the entire world. A pretty large feat. He visited Asia, Africa, Europe, uh, South America, and North America. Uh, so... Uh, Solomon Kane traveling the world and being at these places seems legit. He mentions in Hills of the Dead that he has seen North America because he's fought Native Americans. Um, and in the movie, the very, very, very opening scene, Solomon Kane is in the employ of Sir Francis Drake. 
when they attack some Spanish place, I believe, um, which actually happened. They used an event in history um, in the movie. So I think they played a lot on hints that we have of Solomon Cain's backstory. Um, In the poem, uh, he argues over the execution of um, Thomas Thomas Doughty, who was a real person, um, in 1578, which is one year after they started their circumnavigation. Um, And uh, he argues with Francis Drake about his justification for this execution, and Solomon Cain actually sneaks into the cabin of Sir Francis Drake and uh, is about to kill him and then sees Sir Francis Drake crying in his own hands and decides that whatever sorrow is filling Sir Francis Drake is a worse punishment than what Cain killing him and Cain leaves the service of Sir Francis Drake. <laughs> Which seems so strange. It's like he's he'll usually right. hunt other people to the ends of the earth, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, like, and well, another story. He's having a hard night. I'll let him be. <laughs> yeah, he's having a bad day. Um, and then another story mentions that uh, the green sash that Solomon wears is a m- memento of his pirate right. days. So um, I would think, much like the movie, probably not exactly like the movie, obviously, that something he did as a pirate um, makes him believe that he needs to redeem himself and also broke his mind. And that's what's driving his madness. Right. So the Solomon Cain movie, can we talk about yeah, that for a second? we are a multimedia yes. podcast. We are not exclusive to the texts. Exactly. <laughs> so I feel like we got to play up our dollar store Chromecast right. tokens here. Yeah. So I often hear um, some people say it's garbage. Um, oh, and other people that's say, good sword yeah, that's not garbage. Movie. Well, that's some people say good sword and sorcery movie, bad Solomon Kane movie. Um, to which I almost agree with that. Um, but as I was saying before, um, it, it is a bummer when you have a character that you're really not seeing that true character until the very end of the movie. And you're like, oh, he's finally that character. And I mean, we've talked before about how we are just kind of find the origin film uh, somewhat useless, right? Like, Yeah, definitely. It, it makes sense at times, but we're just kind of like sick of it. Like, just give me a, an adventure or, or a movie for movie's sake. I don't need to – the story doesn't have to be – why this person became right. who they are, especially if, you know, this film isn't going to be successful to bring on more, um, which is, again, why I kind of want to see this medium, like pulp short story characters should be adapted to television shows more so than movies, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Sure. Um, but but no, overall, I thought the movie was, uh, I do think it was a good sword and sorcery film. It wasn't like... It wasn't one of those insulting, meandering, I can't follow anything that's happening, all the effects are bad, uh, the acting is terrible kind of movies. It was, you know, some things were a little um, perhaps blunt, but I, I thought it was solid and kept my attention. Yeah. And yeah. Had some cool horror I'm not elements. the film critic no. that you are. Like, I that movie's like a solid B to me. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. It's good. I get it. It's not a hundred percent faithful to anything. It has um, tributes to uh, to various parts, which I know Logan will probably talk about. Um, but the characters, I thought, like especially like uh, the masked, like his his brother, the masked brother, like is yeah. awesome. That's like yeah. 
That's like yeah, General yeah. Kale and Willow again, <laughs> all over exactly. Every every <laughs> every sword and sorcery movie worth its salt has to have some kind of villain with some kind of yeah. weird face thing going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it has to have it. Uh, so what's interesting, <laughs> and I read this when the movie was coming out because I was super excited about it. The director is Michael J. Bassett, who's actually mm-hmm. a big fan of Solomon Kane, and his original script was supposed to be Wings in the Night. But the producers wanted to make a franchise, as producers do, and they needed an origin <laughs> story because they looked at him as a superhero, which is bullcrap. So they had to make an origin story up using the little bits of knowledge we have from the stories, and that's the movie we got. And I would agree, it's probably a B, B plus, but general audiences didn't like it all that much, so we never got the sequel, which was the original script. Bummer. Well, that's yeah, and I mean it's it's not a movie that's going to convert anybody, right? Right. But if you're a sword and sorcery fan, you're going to find it probably slightly better than your average, uh, you know, bargain uh, bin movie. I actually feel like if they took uh, the Diablo series and said that it wanted to be a movie, like I feel like it would have been that. Yeah. Like the yeah, whole yeah, the yeah, setting and that. just um, you know the demonic yeah, and the vanquished yeah, villages. exactly. And I and it's not exactly yeah. like an angelic, uh, you know, influence like the way Diablo is, uh, but I don't know. The, the setting really felt that way to me. It's something I think about when yeah. I when I watch it. So super fun fact um, to me: uh, the manor, the private estate they filmed in, belonged to the real Sir Richard Grenville, who appears oh. in the Solomon Kane yeah. poem, uh, mm-hmm. "The Return of Sir Richard yep. Grenville." So. That's awesome. That is super rad. Good fact finding, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Giving you're getting your badge tonight. Wait, that's not creepy. <laughs> what does that <laughs> even mean? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. A ro- the rogues in the house merit badge. <laughs> uh, the original yeah, I, Solomon Kane was supposed to be Christopher Lambert from Highlander. Um, well, that would have been a cool choice, but uh, yeah. th- that's the other thing I was going to say is that James Perfroy is uh, he's awesome. It. Right? Yeah, he's fantastic. I thought it was good. I I have Um, no qualms with that movie. I mean, it's just too bad that it wasn't more successful because I think it's, I don't know what I would look for in a movie. I watch it. I've watched it several times and enjoy it. Okay. You want to hear a vague (laughs) uh, factless thing that I saw recently? And it's, I was on Facebook and I saw something on a page that was an official person that said they, they intimated that there was some kind of series potentially in the works and that they know, someone who is involved. So how about that? Huh? I Breaking know, yeah. news. Hey, I yeah, know a guy. Awesome. I know a guy. I know a guy. Who knows yeah, a guy. What guy? Yeah. You want to know what the Solomon team? You don't even know this is a thing, but I know it's a thing. You want to know what the thing? Come on. Anyways, if something happens, we said it first. We yeah. called it right here. Take it to the bank. Good reporting. Um, Good reporting. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Listen, check my sources. I, Some guy on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's, here's my YouTube link to prove my conspiracy I think that's all theory. You, I think that's all you need these days. Yeah. Some yeah. guy on oh, Facebook. Sad, Fake sadly, news. Sadly, it's true. Um, um, what, so, so, anything I, else about the movie? Yeah, I did want to say, like, my one criticism, I think, of the movie, my biggest criticism um, is that as a sword and sorcery movie, the plot is a wee bit too grand for me to oh to, like in terms to, of saving yeah i, I yeah, can see where like you're going with that. all of england yeah. or something right yeah. like 
no one else in England realizes village after village is falling prey to this unnamed army that only grows. Right. Like, I don't know. But the highlight of the movie for me was that scene with the zombies in the church. That was a great that little a, like yeah. side that is a great bit. scene. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was cool. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you my main criticism with it was just it was hard for me to get behind a protagonist who watched that family get like wrecked by the bad guys on the road and didn't do anything till throats were slit. Sure. You know what I mean? And then it was like, Oh, now, now it's the catalyst and I'm going to do something about it. It's like, ah, come on. I, I get that that's your turning point, but as an audience member, you needed to do it before that for me to not think, you know, right. That like, I have to get behind you. And, but the other thing I really like about uh, this film is it has a cameo from Max von Sydow. Yeah, uh, from Conan the Barbarian, right? Yeah, he's that, a dad. He plays, yeah, Solomon's dad. Which, I mean, that has to be. How's that not a nod to Conan? Yeah, yeah, sure, Dude. exactly. So that's not a coincidence, as far as I'm concerned. No, which which again shows the director or the writer or whoever or the producers, whoever we're giving credit to, that you know they were trying to do something cool there. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. It's just kind of a bummer that we didn't get exactly what we were looking for but it's still i think anything anyone that says it's not a good like fantasy movie i think needs to reflect i think yeah, it's or, a solid entry in the fantasy genre for yeah I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer of compared to all the other things that you have right, in this genre right. yep and where does it stack because right. we've 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 not gotten though it's changed over the years we've not gotten the best uh, we've not gotten the best quality overall and in large volume, right? Yeah. No, we, de- we need a uh, a Solomon Kane Netflix series. Oh, God. Just hook it yeah. to my veins. <laughs> if, if they had done that movie in like three installments as a miniseries or something, yeah. everyone yeah. would have loved it. And you're totally right or about 10 that. 10 half an hour episodes. Yeah. And I still, to be fair, I, I think it's still early on in this process of like realizing that adult R-rated uh, things that can be modestly budgeted, um, we're, we're still going to be seeing the uh, – we're still going to be seeing more of that. I think we're still in the early stages. It's again yes. why I'm saying that like The Witcher is an important show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if something like that does well, it's going to crack the doors open to something like Solomon Kane, right? It, it seems to make less sense to make a movie these days and more sense to make. It does. Movies are yeah. for, giant, yeah. for giant spectacles that can have diverse audiences as far as age groups, right? Right. Yep. It's a special kind of you need to be like Deadpool or Wolverine to get away with an R-rated movie. And right. even then, you're still making less money yeah. than you would uh, very likely if you cracked it wide open. I'm sure someone out there is going to argue that, but if you make a quality movie, it doesn't matter what it's rated. You're going to make tons of money if it's good and well-marketed. Yeah. And you guys mentioned budget. Like I think sword and sorcery is an excellent spot for low to mid budget Um, because it's not the epic vistas of Lord of the Rings. It's not the million orc army. It's not any of that stuff. Subtle. It usually isn't even like, big bombastic magic right it's subtle. it should be easy to do right. with a moderate budget yep mm-hmm. yeah. even lord of the rings uh i think that entire trilogy as far as the shooting budget was like 300 million dollars sure 
Um, and now the rumor is with the Amazon series, it's a billion dollars. It's a billion, <laughs> yeah. Like, killing me. So, I don't know. Well, um, budgets, man. Inflation. Yeah, so, well, inflation's part of it, but I mean, Christ, that's only, I guess it is 20 years now. Oof. I know, we're so, old. Logan, you, you get something going. <laughs> I do, old. yeah. So, Chanel just got home and the dog's going crazy. Sorry, people listening. Um, but I, I wanted to mention something, because I think the best Solomon Kane stories are the ones in Africa. Personally, they're my favorite. Yeah, I um, agree. And he carries a unique staff. Yes. And in... So I think it's – I don't know if it's a recurring pulp theme, but it really reminded me of Manly Wade Wellman because his Silver John character carries around a silver-strung guitar. And in a couple stories, it's heavily implied that John has some like familiar connection to St. John, and it, part of it's through that silver-strung guitar. But the staff of, that Solomon Kane uses in the story Footfalls Within – is heavily implied to be the staff of Solomon, uh, that Solomon, the biblical character, used to fight um, evil spirits, and Moses actually uses it as well. Right. So um, somewhere along the line that – how do you say – his name's Nlonga or Nalonga or something? Nalonga. Nalonga, the Juju Man. Sorry, I listened to it on audiobook. um, Somewhere along the line – uh, he got a hold of Moses' staff, and he's passing it on to Solomon, um, who is clearly insane, but also has maybe has some connection to the um, actual Solomon. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, why perhaps, not? Perhaps I mean, a reincarnation. We're suggesting it here. Just kidding. Yeah, everyone. who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> Just kidding, everyone. Um, yeah. I, I think that um, – that I like that story um, – uh, which one was it? The one that where he was he was captured. That you the footfalls within. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It really got into like the, it was like a good lore building. Uh, yeah. of, the, of the staff and and uh, right. And, and I think that the 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 monster at the end is is a very good classic sword and sorcery uh, type feel where he's sort of yeah, like unchains definitely. this like you know they they unleash this quivering mass type thing. Yeah. Gets yeah. Lovecraftian for a second. There. Yes, it does. You said you, yeah. you listened to the audiobook. Which audiobook? Savage Tales. Um, it was the uh, it was the horror stories actually. Ah. Uh, oh yeah, and Robert a couple Howard. of Solomon Kane stories are in that one. Yeah, there's there's uh, I listened to uh, the Hills of the Dead and um, uh, shoot, uh, Rattle of Bones. Nice. Oh, I like that one too. Yeah, it's a cool little story. Uh, so. Rattle of Bones is actually the one of two, and it has like a direct sequel. I can't remember which one it is, though. Oh. Um, um, Rattle of Bones is the first one. Maybe Red Shadows is the second one. One of yeah. them. Yeah. He's on, he's on route at that point, and he's he's hanging out with a Frenchman. Yeah. And a Frenchman deceives him. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, I could see that tying into the one where he's uh, hunting Lulu. Yeah. Anyways, we could check our facts and then uh, get back to you next week. Yeah, <laughs> I, li- I listened uh, to um, I listened to the Savage Tales of Solomon came and uh, Paul Bomer was the narrator. He did a yeah, really really cool Kane. Uh, I-, I thought he sounded amazing when he did it. Yeah, he's not uh, he's not the same. The other Del Rey editions, I love. I think his name is Malcolm McLaren or something or McLaren. Mm. Yeah, just Conan ones. I love that. I don't. Know, I love that guy, but. 
Solomon Kane guy is more um, a little more reserved. I liked him. I thought it, I thought it yeah. worked well for for the character. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. He actually, um, I was just happening to check this with Logan um, before we started recording, and he actually narrated uh, some of the Dra- Dragonlance novels as well that I'm a big fan of. Um, oh yeah, from right. way back in my childhood. Yeah, I passed those on to a student of mine recently. I was like, "This is a good entry level book for you," and he's All like, right. "Yeah, this this is awesome." Nice. <laughs> this yeah. is awesome. You've you've impacted a life. Hey man, teaching, bro. If you can't do that, you're in the wrong business. So I want to tie this back to um, the last episode. We we were talking about monsters, and I think we can probably rattle through this as to the types of things uh, that he fights. And uh, he does fight humans a plenty. Um, Skull in the Stars. Yep. That's the one where he is uh, choosing between the two roads, and he basically uh, fights the ghosts, uh, the ghost of um, Ezra's brother, right? Yeah. So uh, the hermit Ezra essentially murders his own brother, and the ghost is uh, restless. So Solomon Kane, of course, is, uh, is is fighting ghosts in that one. Um, we talked about vampires as well. Yeah, and there's zombies. And zombies, yep. Um, like voodoo zombies, not like... Um, well, there's like a... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's like not like your Walking Dead type zombies, but they're, no. they're like... like the, no longer animating? Yeah, like re Yeah, he mentioned specifically in um, The Hills of the Dead that yeah. he saw Nalonga reanimate dead people. Right. Well, and he they also go deeply into the whole dream realm Oh, yeah. uh, And moving across time in the snap of your fingers, which is like Howard used that a lot. He used it quite a lot in uh, in uh, Rand McMorn. Yeah. With like Cull moving ahead. Um, And I mean, obviously in Conan, a little bit it comes to him. You might argue that Epimetrius, that whole situation was dreamlike. So, yeah, that's definitely a reoccurring theme in Howard. I don't know that we'd call that monstrous. So the other one too that we could talk about is uh, in Wing, Wings in the Night. Um, he fights harpies as well, which he uh, references as Akana in the the language there. Uh, but what's cool about that, I thought was cool, was that he he eventually realizes that these uh, are the harpies that Jason and the Argonauts essentially fight and drive off, and now they've sort of settled in Africa, which I I, I thought yeah. was really cool. Yeah, and I think Wings in the Night is my favorite one. Oh, you and you and the um, Chromecast. So on our Twitter. Oh, is is that? Yeah, true? on Twitter, uh, I, I asked folks, um, "What's your favorite Kane story?" And Chromecast came back with Hills of the Dead or Wings in the Night. They are both very good. Um, I think Wings in the Night is my favorite. Um, I do like Hills of the Dead, um, but the monsters, the harpies, um, they are. I want to say they're unique as far as Howard. I mean, the closest that we get is the winged ape, I think, um, in Queen of the Black Coast. But uh, yeah. they there's the way they're sort just, of like that. Yeah, uh, the way that Howard describes the harpies, um, he he clearly describes them as part bird because like their breastbone sticks out, um, and they have a beak, but they also have like a nose. Like it's, they're super weird. There's also the very first thing he meets a guy who's been like t- uh, tied to a stake and like they feed right. on him and the uh the imagery like there's no dialogue it's all like yeah that's pretty uh 
yeah, it's just a pretty vis- visceral great scene. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I, I love that about it. Um, I also need to say, um, and I know we'll bring it up next episode when we talk about Primal, but the fourth episode of Primal is basically yeah. this story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's so good. I, yeah, I'm so, so tempted good. to just get into that, but we shouldn't. No, cannot. you save Must it, resist. Alex. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did did you hear that I mentioned we have a, a Twitter account now? Yeah, say, we have a Twitter account. You got to hawk that yeah, at this point. Yeah. Um, so if you are a user of the tweets, you can get us at, at rogues underscore podcast. And then you will be up to date with all the wonderful things that we have to say. Uh, which is not a whole heck of yeah. a lot yet, but it's growing. Yeah. I, uh, we, we let Alex take the reins on that. Which you should not have. And no, uh, This was all you. You yeah. got obsessed with this Dungeons and Dragons podcast that we can't ever hope to rival. And you're like, they have a Twitter. We can hope, we can <laughs> hope to rival. <laughs> Wait till we start doing our Solomon Kane out of print Savage Worlds RPG cast. That's right. Oh, we should oh, we yeah. should bring that up then. Yeah, we do need to mention those. Um, so yeah, there's actually Solomon Kane. Uh, well, as far as in the gaming world, uh, there's no video games that I'm aware of, but there was the RPG by I think it's Pinnacle uh, yeah. via Sav- Savage, Savage Worlds. Worlds. I actually have played it. Um, it's it's an excellent it's an excellent sword and sorcery system. Savage Worlds worked really well for that anyways, but the Solomon Kane version um, was quite good. We actually did it uh, several years ago. We tend to do our spooky sessions around Halloween time. Sure. Um, but we were running it sort of around that time as a monster of the week kind of theme where we had rotating GMs and uh, three of us kind of did um, uh you know, we, yeah, we rotated. So essentially it, it was kind of fun in that the characters that we played, they just kind of carried on as NPCs. Um, we didn't do it for that long, but it's one of those books on the shelf. I see that, you know, I'm like, we'll, we'll probably go back to it someday. So that one's out of print. Did you guys play it? I, I did not play it, but I looked at the book because um, it it's basically a book about the world that Solomon Kane inhabits. <clears throat> Because yeah. like it talks about North America and South America and other places, um, and I like the idea that your like your characters have been like they've encountered Solomon Kane and have been yeah. like touched by like how he he does things. And yeah, so they're like of, following in his footsteps. There's a campaign node that kind of uh, uh, can take you along on that. I think it's called the Path of Kane or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is a cool way to it's a cool way to put it because, like all Howard's characters, which is something I find um, so cool but also tantalizing at the same time, is that we don't really know what their ultimate fate was. Right, Cain don't get he doesn't like sit on a throne somewhere, um, but I mean the guy has to age, and at a certain point, you know, with that fervor and that mania, he's he's going to want his his journey to continue, right. and you could totally see him indoctrinating or guiding another another group right yeah so that's a whole other that's a cool plot hook Definitely. Um, that's part of what i really love about these characters and howard's characters um placed into this context is just i feel like the coolest pastiching if you will can i say pastiching um 
comes from gaming, right? Like you can create awesome hooks because you kind of have to, you've, you've got to set it in the world and then have a reason for a group of characters to do a thing. So I don't know. It always works out to interesting effect. Um, the other Solomon Kane game is the board game by mm-hmm. Mythic Games, um, which uh, finished quite a while ago. Um, and then they recently shut down the, uh, what do you call it? The pledge, ma- the pledge manager. And so presumably that's going to be out sometime early new year is the apparent date. Super uh, big miniature heavy, um, su- like kind of an RPG light board game by the sounds of it with a lot of um, uh, different paths, nodes that you can take in the game. Um, I went all in because how can I not as a Howard slash board game enthusiast? Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And if there's anything else I'm missing as far as big Solomon Kane products. Well, you're missing one. You something are. that just came in the mail for you. Oh, oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So um, the mini Savage Savage Crate by Mini Crate. I mentioned this before uh, a couple episodes ago. They did a, it's a limited run of Robert E. Howard inspired miniatures. And the day before we uh, recorded this podcast, the Solomon Kane miniature showed up and he is super rad. It's the company is, uh, what is it, Alex? Privateer yes. Press. Um, they do, yeah, they do uh, War Machine, uh, generally 32 millimeter miniatures high quality it's not like board game miniatures it's different in that it's gonna be more expensive they're like art pieces aren't they yeah they're 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 metal cast um they're gorgeous this all love them yeah they're really they're really nice and it's super like action posed sculpt He's, he's got two swords um which i have seen some complain online that he should have a pistol which you know i kind of agree but by the same token, if a sculptor's got something in mind that you think is going to look super sweet, um, I can handle Solomon having two swords instead of a sword and a pistol. Yeah, totally. And it does. It looks excellent. So I'd like to say you could still get it, but I don't think you can. I think that uh, those orders are over. And the way mini crate works is that you kind of have to order it ahead of time because then they um, they no longer produce it. It's like a, it's a FOMO kind of uh, paradigm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, we're also missing the uh, new Marvel crossover, Conan, Solomon Kane, and Dark Agnes yeah, that's in right. the Serpent's War. Good call. That right cover, so, that cover looks so good. It is such a good cover. Yeah. Um, don't know much about it other than it's um, a Robert E. Howard universe crossover. Um, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, I thought it was interesting the inclusion of Dark Agnes because I was not aware there was in the supernatural element, but I guess one of her stories does. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I have heard from a couple different sources, like different articles and interviews, that the I think the writer behind the Serpent War really likes Solomon Kane and Dark Agnes on their own and is trying to advocate that they get their own separate runs. So we may be seeing a Dark Agnes and Solomon Kane separate from Conan at some point. That would be cool. It's it's interesting. I think that like yeah, like Howard is clearly it's really well known among 
creative types who are into these genres, right? Yeah. I think sometimes, sometimes we, um, sometimes assume people don't know and, or, or a lot mm-hmm. of people think that these comics are being made for the wrong reasons. And I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're being made to sell books as of course they are in part, but in the same breath, you also have these, uh, comic creators who probably have been influenced by this for a long time. And of course they are going to want to really have a hack at these characters and do well with it. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, open-minded to see what comes of this. Yeah. And I think these kinds of stories are tailor made for comics, like not sure. being a huge comic nerd, but they're so visual and the characters are so dynamic and you can just make good, good scenes that I'm sure are just fun to draw yeah. um, and color. So I haven't, I, I see the clear connection between the two mediums. Um, yeah. It's 2019. These stories came out in like the thirties. So yeah, you can try, you can try something else with them. Yeah. Cool with Let them have it's fun. Almost, been almost a hundred years. You can, yeah. you can experiment a little. I'm all right. But with it's that. not public domain. Serpent, Serpent War is in December, right? It's not out yet. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. We're just digging around. Trying so we don't to know much it. about mm-hmm. it other than that it seems as though they're teaming up to fight the Serpent Men. Which I kind of hope there's a call, like trump card call. <laughs> but yeah. you never know. I love. Uh, oh, we need to talk about that one sometime. But uh, yeah, I, Kings of the Night. The call in that story, he seems different than the call from the call stories. He does. He, he just pops forward and he's like, "This whatever. This dream's crazy, but I'll crack some heads for <laughs> you." Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas in the like, cull stories, he's more like, oh, I need to really think about this. This is, a, <laughs> this is a philosophically strange. Oh, what is my motivation? Whereas in that story, you know, he just pops forward and he's he's totally like a rock star. Yeah. And then Bran yeah. is just sort of in his shadow. Anyways, that's another that's another topic. I, while we were talking about this, I was thinking about that scene because you were talking about the moving forward in time. And I was like – if you're those Roman soldiers and this like – I always <laughs> imagine Cole is just like physically huge. Like he's a tall dude yeah, yeah. and yeah. he looks different than everyone else. And it's like what were those Roman soldiers thinking? Like oh yeah. my god. Well, not even – not only those but like the, the Northmen who – Yeah. You know, he's there to impress and to like – Yeah, and like isn't the very like culminating scene like – Cull and a couple Northmen holding off like just a horde of Roman soldiers like by themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then eventually he just like, just walks into the horizon. He's like, "All right, well, I'm out." You know, yeah, Gonar said uh, that I'd be dreaming later. <laughs> Good dream. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah we cool dream, bro. Sometime. Yeah, we're definitely talking. Grand, about. We'll get their own episodes at some point. Yeah, um, I have much to say. So what else? What so else Alex, do we have on Solomon here? Man, I think I may have exhausted my my um, trove of of knowledge here. So I think yeah. the big takeaway for me with this is that it, sort of what I said in the beginning is that his pop culture um, reference um, resume, I guess, runs deep. I think mm-hmm. it's just as iconic as Conan, people but people probably don't people realize don't it. it. Isn't that interesting? Like, I think that yeah. that's one of the, yeah. the weirder things about it is that He's he's pretty iconic in his own right, and I think people, um, the, yeah. the general populace, don't recognize what they're looking at. They just see something that's cool. Th- and like I think part of it is like 
I mean, Conan has a lot of stories. He's the most written about of um, Howard's sure. characters. And even in this um, this beautiful Del Rey book by the impeccable or with art by the impeccable Gary Gianni, who uh, also did the second Conan collection, um, the Bloody Crown. But uh, there just aren't that many complete Solomon Kane stories. There's like a handful of fragments in here. Uh, so people probably just there just aren't as many things to read about Solomon as there are Conan, which definitely has an effect on how people see the character. Right. Yeah, totally. And I mean, yeah, I, Conan was also quite successful. Yeah, yeah sure. Of course. Back when, with weird tales. So obviously Howard was rolling in money and was happy to keep pumping them out. We should, uh, and we should sign up our good buddy, Scott Odin to take on the voice of Solomon Kane, since he likes his historical fiction as well. Um, yeah. That might be a little bit out of. I think he prefers yeah. the the like older yep. stuff, but yep. you know, maybe. Oh, you give him some time. Never that guy know. can research anything. <laughs> uh, cool. So, so yeah. I think that that is uh, more or less what we got for Solomon Kane. I hope you all enjoyed uh, the, this episode. Uh, I just want to give us ourselves a a little shout out here in terms of Facebook page. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Rogues in the House. Very simple on Facebook. Again, Twitter. Uh, what was our Twitter account there? Does anyone remember? Rogues yep. underscore podcast. Yeah, at Rogues underscore podcast. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> Bailing me out on that. And we can't – we would be remiss if we didn't remind people that it is spooky season and that they may in fact be listening to this on a cool, misty October evening uh, before the – Boils and ghouls show up at their door. So uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we chose yeah. our uh, our topics this month to uh, align with um, you know the, the the pumpkin spice latte season. I yeah. want to bring up one right. other interesting thing. Okay, the next episode that we do is going to represent our one year mark. Mm. Oh, yep. Mm. We so I don't I don't have the exact date on me. Uh, but we were a November launch, so yeah. we will yeah. have officially uh. wrapped a full year. Uh, I'm actually going to roll ourselves into season two, if you will, um, of the podcast. So wow. whatever this one year is, uh, maybe we should make it sort of a, a one year celebratory. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> well, we already um, said we we're doing Prime Works, so. <laughs> but but. I think ah, I think that's a good one though because uh, I'm I feel very comfortable saying that that TV show represents everything that I love about the genre. So. Yeah, it does. It, fit, it fits into our ethos quite well. We're not yeah. just we're not just a literary uh, podcast. No. We're we're the uh, you know sword and sorcery in the overall pop cultural context. Yeah, um, and I guess since we're dropping hints about our future, uh, and next one is our year anniversary episode, um, there are some interesting things I think that we have planned for the future um, that I'll probably talk more about next time. So yeah, I got some things. Yeah, I'm telling you, I've been doing some cool uh, monolith preparations for uh, what's coming for Conan that uh, I'm super psyched about. I had yeah. a good homework. I had a good homework assignment tonight, which involved yeah. sending uh, passages from particular stories and accompanying artwork to a sculptor. 
Ooh, Ooh. nice. Nothing, That's cool. You're going to give us nothing else? Uh, it might be from a story called Hour of the Dragon. But listen, time is, is moving quickly. It is our first, uh, we're almost reaching our first year period. I must consult with old Gonar about this. Uh, <laughs> the nature of time. And perhaps this was all just a dream anyway. Whatever dimension in time and space you hail from, may your swords always remain sharp. <laughs> so <laughs> Matt was drinking Matt's and died. everything went down the wrong pipe. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I tried to hit the mute button, boys. I couldn't find it. <laughs> I felt it happen. I was like, before I could do it, I was searching for it. I couldn't get it. <laughs> I'm gonna mute for a minute and get this out. Logan, continue. I am a landless man. A strange, intangible, almost mystic look flashed into his cold eyes. I come out of the sunset and into the sunrise I go, wherever the Lord doth guide my feet. I seek my soul's salvation, mayhap. I came following the trail of vengeance. Now I must leave you. The dawn is not far away, and I would not have it find me idle. It may be I shall see you no more. My work here is done. The long red trail is ended. The man of blood is dead. But there be other men of blood, and other trails of vengeance and retribution. I will work the will of God. While evil flourishes and wrongs grow rank, while men are persecuted and women wronged, while weak things, human or animal, go maltreated, there is no rest for me beneath the skies, nor peace at any board or bed. Farewell. <laughs>